And welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. You're on here today with its current host and always host, Crystal Fleming. And uh, before we jump into one of the most amazing, internationally known, and incredible historical romance writers that I've had the pleasure of meeting, we are going to have a little listen to the Shadow Time Guardian series by Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won, the prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan. Struggling to cope with tragic loss, at odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping at shadows, and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge and fullify the immortals' plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love. And that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation? Who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battle through the past and into an impossible future, darkness lurks around every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? Now, I will have the greatest pleasure in introducing, and I really hope I don't butcher her name, Madeline Martin. Welcome. Madeline Martin, but you were very close, and you said it with a (laughs) Scottish accent, so that makes it even better. (laughs) I uh, I do that sometimes, like, I'll use the Scottish to, like, cover up if I've butchered it, because if the people just give me, like, that little bit extra room because of the Scottish, like. I mean, if I had a Scottish accent, I would totally do that too. <laughs> it's funny that's how it's pronounced over here. So it's like, oh, it? I was like, I was like, I'll I'll just go with the, the Scottish way just <laughs> in case. So, um, yeah, it's funnily it's all spelled the same way over here. It's just pronounced slightly different. That's funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's uh, let's dive into because you've got a hell of a book coming out or is already out, yes. and it sounds awesome and considering i love world war ii books i'm really looking forward to this thank you so much so yes the librarian spy just came out and um it is a world war ii with two heroines in two vastly different um scenarios one of which is an american librarian who worked for the library of congress and she gets sent to neutral portugal Um, where she is having to gather intel. Uh, Now, the interesting thing about Portugal is it's where a lot of the refugees in Nazi-occupied Europe end up before they can go to wherever it's safe to go to. Um, And so you have a lot of refugees, but you also have a lot of spies mingling with um, that whole area. And then on the other half of the book takes place in Lyon, France. And um, my heroine there is actually based off a woman who truly existed. She worked for the French Resistance, and she actually... Um, did work with the underground newspaper. So a coded message is what brings these two women together. And that's all I'll say about that. (laughs) And that, to me, honestly, sounds amazing. I grew up with, like, the Shetland stories of World War II, um, because history, unfortunately, history where I was from was very much targeted to Shetland and the Shetland Islands. So we always had the Viking culture, um, which was sort of really pushed into everything. And they, you know when World War Two happened, it was our boats that would take people, refugees from uh, Norway and Finland and Denmark 
and they would take them over to Shetland and then they would stay in Shetland for a period of time before they would be moved on into other areas of Scotland. Some of them were transported to Canada, but it was fishing boats. It was everyday men and women that were going on these voyages. And my grandfather was actually part of that. Um, And he was part of the merchant Navy and he you know, he was great at smuggling. So he kind of, as he put it to himself, you know, this is the same kind of thing as smuggling, except for people are, you know, shooting at me now, whereas they didn't shoot at me before. So, you know, he had this incredible uh, way of getting people across. And then he actually was the dive retrieval team for submarines. So he actually looked after a lot of the divers that would go down and cut people out of the submarines or try and save them. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And the great thing about the the Merchant Navy was they didn't pick a side. So it was like, no matter what boat was calling out in distress, it, they would help by their side. And there was a lot of uh, German Navy that they rescued and they were able to settle in, in Scotland. These were people that were not wanting to serve. Right. were fleeing. Um, you know, and that was the great thing. The ones that the Shetlanders worked out that were not fleeing or were not in sort of did that actually wanted to do it were kept on Shetland and kept on an island so that they couldn't actually get off. Yeah. And uh that was it was just a, a ways and means to make sure that they kept the island safe, but at the same time they kept uh kept them out of the war. Right. So yeah, and I just find that whole period very fascinating. And my other grandfather was also serving and he actually had polio. So one leg was shorter than the other. Oh, wow. And he was a, he was an electrician and he used to drive around on the army bike, um, mm-hmm. helping them put, put in sort of the electrical system. That's really and, uh, I, what I didn't know about him until after he passed was that he was an architect he actually oh, built bridges. He, yeah. Yeah. He never went to university or anything like that, but he had developed the ways to build bridges and he helped take bridges apart essentially for the war effort. And uh, yeah, he was, he was an incredibly smart guy for somebody that didn't speak a lot. And then he had a granddaughter that would never shut up. So it kind of drove him <laughs> a bit bat crazy. Um, well, you yeah, have an incredible family for sure. Yeah, and I mean that, that's that's why I love your book idea. It's it's incredible, and anything that's got anything to do with libraries, everyone knows is a selling point for me. <laughs> um, yeah, because Ian reckons I'm uh, actually got my own library in my house. But oh, that's awesome! I hit nine hundred books recently. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I love like, that. It's, it's a sore point with hubby because he's like. If we have any more bookcases, there's going to be literally more space for the bookcases than us. <sighs> and I'm like, but look at all those books. Look how pretty they are. No, Crystal, stop getting books. And then, of course, now publishers are sending them to me for free. <laughs> and it's all for the show. And he can't say anything because it's for the show. <laughs> so he's like, I'm going to have to buy you more bookcases. I'm going to have a Christmas or something. And I'm like, mm, sorry, no, sorry. <laughs> yep. Like, I'm terrible. I don't throw them out unless, like, I know I'm never going to read them again. Right. And then I'll relent and I'll, like, give them up and stuff. But there's just some series you can't, like, go. And if I find an author that I adore and I absolutely love, you know, like I was saying this to Fiona Cummins, who was on a couple of weeks back, I fall in love with them and I just buy. It doesn't matter what they write. I just buy it. 
Like <laughs> if it's got their name on it, I pick it up. And I did that with Rachel Kane, and she went from being YA vampire, so I was suddenly writing this sort of psychological thriller uh-huh. for grown-ups, and I'm like, because I didn't read the burp, I just bought the book because it had her <laughs> name on it. And I, I didn't even read it before I started reading the book. I just picked up the book and started reading it. And then I'm like, wait a minute. This this isn't fiction, fantasy. Like, what what's going on here? And then I realized, oh, she's doing something different. And I yeah. actually ended up really enjoying it. So okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great when an author can transcend a genre. Right. Like, you know, I'm I'm attempting at the moment to bust out of the sports romance genre, which yeah. is where I've been languishing now for a while. <laughs> um, you know, and this great thing is I actually got to sit down and work with a detective that was on the show the first 48 hours. Oh, that's really awesome. And he was such an amazing guy. And I'm, I'm saving who it is until I release it because I want that to be a surprise for my readers. But he must have gotten sick of the emails of me asking <laughs> so many questions. Like, because even though it's set in Scotland, I'm using sort of almost like an American style detectiveness. Right. Because this guy, you know, he comes from South, but his whole life has been sort of almost in America. And that's the secret. Okay. But he's almost like it's, it's weird because he's got this guilt of feeling ashamed about not living in Scotland, about having left and yeah. then coming coming back to police an island community that he essentially ran away from. So, yeah, and he's got kids that he can't connect with because he spent so much time away from them. Yeah. So it's a very kind of weird and twisted um, sort of, I've never written an all-male, you know, lead before. Right. So that was like a huge step out for me because that's like a whole new area for me. And then, of course, me sitting working with him because uh, I tried to work with a Scottish police officer. Well, I asked Scottish police officers to work with me, but I never got anywhere with that. So I was Uh-oh. very grateful for, for when this guy said, yeah, you know what, I'll sit and help you. Oh, that really is so, so wonderful. It's such a great thing when people are willing to share their knowledge. Yeah, and that's like that's the funny thing like about writing is it has brought me into contact with such amazing people over my lifetime. I mean, I've had the pleasure of knowing like a Rachel Kane, and I've gotten chances to spend time with like Deborah Deborah Hartness. Yeah, what is it with me and names today? Deborah <laughs> Hartness, like because you said having Scottish accent, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's fine because I've got Scottish accent. But um, <laughs> sitting and talking to her about my moral series and and how like you know I got told it was too Hollywood to be a te- you know a book series, and and how gutted I was about that. You know, and then, you know, sort of on the split side, I'm going to be sitting down talking with Shirley Kennan. And I just got her book in a couple of days ago. And I've been reading Shadow Fallen, which is her new one. And it's just like crazy when I look at like how well connected I am in into this whole romance. I call it more like a sorority house almost. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like it's like a sorority. And um, I've come from like the wrestling fraternity to all of a sudden being in a sorority where it's like totally different rules, totally different world, and everything's like, oh, I have to like, you know, I can settle down and like I don't have to 
almost like be bigger than life all the time. I can just be crystal behind the scenes. I don't have to be crystal McCarrington, the author. <laughs> like I can just, you know, take that step back and be myself. And yeah. the good thing with the show is I can let like the spitfire personality out <laughs> whenever I need to. Right. Um, and then I have like, cause I can have camera episodes where, you know, I'm not having to be, when I have my wrestling friends on, then I have to be like this huge, larger than life crystal. Yeah, it's weird because it's like it's it's like the rest is I I call it the wrestling bug. If you've ever walked down on stage at a convention and done like a speech or whatever, and you get that moment of attention where every eye on the room's on you, and you break out in that cold sweat, but at the end when the cheer and they're applauding you, that great rush. That's what it's like with wrestling. Only you get the great rush and the great high all the time you're involved in it. Oh, that's awesome. So, like, when I was writing the wrestling characters, it was like a rush because, like, I knew what that crowd was going to react like once they went out to do their, their thing. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I'm having to work with these people who have a huge ego and, you know, who are really, really <laughs> super sensitive. And I have to be aware that, you know, their feelings are easily hurt and, you know, they don't like writers and this is their character and their baby and I'm just sort of, you know, hijacking it for the night or whatever. Right. And it's a totally different way of writing entirely. Um, I, um, we were talking about this the other day with another author about, you know, deep personal or what was it, deep point of view. So like 3D point of viewing. And cutting into that sort of deeper layers of characters and really making them both showing why somebody would do bad things and then showing why somebody would tend to, to lean more to doing good stuff and doing, you know, things that make them uncomfortable. Right. And for us with right with wrestling, you had to be able to answer the why. Right? So everything you did, like if your your character's favorite flower was a rose, you had to be able to say why it was. Why right. out of all the flowers, that was the flower for her. And I was really lucky. I met somebody that does ask why to everything. <laughs> Literally. Uh, no, seriously. He'll ask you, why did you brush your teeth this morning? <laughs> he is the most amazing guy for that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. And I, I get, I'm feeling the joy because I'm lifting you up today. You're an international best-selling author. You know, you've been on top of the world with your, you know, being in the New York bestsellers list. That's what every writer wants to achieve and you've managed to do that and you're well known for your historical stuff. So, you know, getting you on and being able to share you with everyone else here in the UK that might not have gotten to know you it is, it's an honor to be able to do that on the show. So thank, thank you for you coming so much, on. Crystal. And I really appreciate you having me on the book and life podcast too. I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> and it's different because we, you know, you get to talk about things that necessarily we don't get to talk about when we go to like, signings and when we're doing stuff like that because they you know they want to know about the book we're selling not necessarily about reading habits that we have or writing habits that we have you know like I always feel like there's not enough time at events do you never do you feel that way like that we don't ever have enough time well you definitely can't explore all the different aspects of writing because it is such a very huge thing so yeah it you, is you yeah. definitely will like kind of have your books and then you also don't have as much time to get to speak with people one-on-one -on -one as well either you know if you have if there are other people to speak with and everything so you can't just be focused on just one person yeah, and I feel like this is kind of reaching out because a lot of when I put the questions together it was a really 
pulling from the different people that I never got around to talking to at events. So like when I did my book signings, there were so many people that wanted to sit around and talk about writing. And I was like, but it, that's like a learning tree thing where you have to like sit for a long time under the learning tree to kind of get that kind of knowledge that they wanted in five minutes. And it's just not possible. No. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It, and I, so many people love the questions. I've only had like, I think one author that didn't enjoy this whole thing. So I yeah, love, I'm, I'm sure I'll love hoping, them. So I'm not, yeah, worried. I'm, I'm hoping it's going to go well. Um, <laughs> You know, fingers crossed, everyone. So, yeah. <laughs> so let's start off with uh, what is the book that you've read recently that stuck with you the most? Um, well, right now I'm actually in the middle of reading Verity by Colleen Hoover. Um, oh, I read okay. it because um, one of my good friends, um, who's also an author, Eliza Knight, was like, oh, my gosh, this book is so disturbing. You have to read it. And I was like, sign me up. <laughs> I like how he went with disturbing, can I just say, of all the, the words he could have used, that was the one he used to sell it. Like, well, And we also, we do love thrillers, and so disturbing yeah. gets us right where we want it. And so um, I'm about halfway through it, and it is definitely disturbing, which means it is so good. <laughs> that was the last thing I actually thought you were going to come out with. <laughs> I'll take that as a I, I should learn. I should have learned from, like, because I, I was asked, I asked this question to a children's author, and I don't know why I thought she was going to say something YA or, or you know, young adult or children's or something. And she totally left fielded me with an adult fantasy. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, like, totally threw me. And that question gets me every time I, I ask it. I don't know why. <laughs> So if you were to, if you had time, because in writer's lives, we don't get a lot of time to do this. If you had time to just sit and enjoy a book or a book series or just an author in general, who would it be and why? Um, if it was just one particular author. Um, you get one author, but you could have like a series. A series? Um, well, you know, what? I, actually, I listened to the Matched series. It's a YA by um, Ali Condi. Um, I listened yeah. to it, but I never actually had the opportunity to read it. And um, if it yeah. was just if, if time was no object, which is laughable because I have children and yeah. time is like <laughs> my biggest constraint. Um, if yeah. time was absolutely no object, I could completely lose myself in that series and I would really enjoy getting to, to read it, um, instead of just having to listen to it. So, but that was a really wonderful YA series. It's YA dystopian. So. Oh, I like YA dystopian. Oh, See, you like, I keep the series. It is you, so good. You need to send me the, the actual, like the whole name and stuff. Cause I will check it. Cause like, I've been itching for one since I read the Divergent series. Oh, that was really good too. But yeah, and that's. Match- I- just matched got into really really good it's i loved it i've actually listened to it about three times because i love it so much so it would be wonderful to actually get to sit down and read it yeah and i i think to be honest like there's some like serious like i can't do the audible thing i fall asleep oh (laughs) i don't know what it is about like somebody reading a book to me i just conk out like i just can't I wish yeah. I could do it, but I can't do it. I'll do it while so I'm like running around. Like it's like I'm emptying yeah. a dishwasher. I'm I'm picking up the kids from this thing or that thing, or you know, putting on my yeah. makeup. See, I, I'm terrible. I'm just on podcasts, listening to uh, True Crime <laughs> podcast, or I'm listening to Unsolved. <laughs> I'm terrible. Like I, but I don't even get to listen to podcasts because I I know that you'll understand this. But when we're writing, there's nothing worse than getting out of your groove. 
Yes. Or getting thrown out your groove. Like I stupidly, I'm writing a contemporary romance novel right now. And I went and saw Dumbledore last night. Oh, how was that? It was really good. But the only problem was I wanted to go home and write fantasy. <laughs> and I was like, darn it, that's that's not the series I'm writing right now. Like, you have to have a shiny notebook, a shiny new idea notebook, where you can just jot down those ideas. And it just takes yep. like 10 minutes and or an hour and just yep. jot the ideas down in the shiny new notebook idea. And then you kind of get a little bit out of you. And then you can get back to what you need to. Yeah, that's what I do, actually, formally. You said that. I, I took out, because I'm like i really one of these organized writers where I've got a notebook for everything. Yep. So, like, every... So, if I'm doing romance, I've got, like, this huge, big, black leather one I'll open. Or if I'm doing the Orchid Guild, it's like a sparkly peacock notebook that my hubby gave me. And I literally will write down in that notebook whatever it is that's bugging me so that I can focus on what I'm doing. Yeah, um, but I also got hit with edits two days ago, and I'm just oh, no. like, edits and writing at the same time, and it's not even the same series. Is I don't know why I signed up for that. <laughs> yeah, well, but, I know um, with with romance because you do have to write the books a little bit faster. I know. Yeah. I mean, I was writing about seven to eight books a year while I had my full while I full had a full time job to make sure I got all the books out, and it was it was. Yeah. You know, editing one book, writing another book, copy editing another book, plotting another book, advertising another book that just released. And it was just yep. like a constant, uh, constant chaos. It's like being <laughs> in a washing machine, I think. It like, is a washing machine of ideas and words and edits. <laughs> yeah. And then you start seeing it in your sleep and then you start pa- having panic attacks in your sleep. Like about, have I done X, Y, and Z today? Have I, did I remember to have a shower today? Did I, <laughs> you know, like it all builds up in our heads. And I think that's where we all kind of get lost a little bit because we're right. all worrying about the schedule and making sure we hit every point. Um, so that's why I like, you know, I, I think I'm mad that I started this because I've, I'm like you, I've got like a million things going on in one time. I've got a BA honors course I've got the podcast. I've I've got a book coming out. I'm working. I've done two screenplays, which got signed. Oh, that's fantastic! Now, Congratulations! Yeah, I not that they're going to get made. I don't believe for a second they'll get made. But like, you never know. <laughs> I, I don't. But it's like that way where then I have to like fit in meetings and go to hospital appointments, and I'm like. <laughs> Really, Crystal, uh, your schedule was tight before the podcast, and then you decided to take the podcast on. <laughs> I was like, "Oh well, yeah. I never did things by halves, so you know I, that that's going to be a continual thing." I think. <laughs> yep, I get that. I'm an all or nothing kind of person as well. <laughs> it's good when you have the energy to do it. It's not so good when you're getting up at like six o'clock in the morning because you've got to be awake for a podcast at 8 a.m., which is what my tomorrow morning looks like. Oh. <laughs> Tomorrow's going to be a brutally long day for me. Yeah. So who do you, um, when you got into historical romance and you sort of started writing, was there an author, past, present, who's really influenced you, maybe inspired you to write, uh, made you excited about books? So, like, um, who got you into reading and then who got you into writing? So who got me into reading is actually Laura Ingalls Wilder. I used to love okay. that series when I was a little girl. I would So that might actually be another series that I would read if I just had all this <laughs> wonderful time because it's been ages since I read it. But yeah. um, 
You know, I really loved Laura Ingalls Wilder because as much as I really wanted to be Mary, I was completely Laura. <laughs> I was the one that was always getting <laughs> that into, totally happens. Yep. to mess things up. You know, that was, that was mm-hmm. so me. And so I really connected with her. Um, so absolutely the Laura Ingalls Wilder, like that whole little house on the prairie series. Um, yep. And then as far as, um, as what got me into writing, you know, the funny thing is I started reading Diana Gabaldon's Outlander series when I um, uh-huh. had just had my first daughter and she's now 16. And, um, and I thought, oh, you know what, I'm going to, I'll read through this series. And so I started reading it and absolutely love, 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 love the series. And so I thought, you know what, I think I'm going to start writing romance. And I love the idea of the big, broad Scottish hero and like <laughs> you know, the English heroine and, and all this kind of stuff. And so, uh, so that's how I kind of started doing that. And, and I love history. So I've done medieval um, I've done 18th century, um, and I've also done Regency, and then now I'm moving into World War II historical fiction. I just, I am a huge history nerd, and I love it. <laughs> I mean, I think um, Scottish people, we kind of take it for granted because we're surrounded by the constant history. But then when we went to the States, me and my partner, we were so surprised at like how new everything was. Right. Because we you were know- walking around expecting these really old buildings and streets and stuff. And then we were so surprised at how new and uh, and shiny everything was, especially in Los Angeles. Yeah. And we were like, this is weird. The only place that there was old houses that we actually saw was in the Warner Brothers area. Yeah. So, well, like, so the funny thing know. is I actually, I spent 12 years collectively in Germany because I'm an army brat. Huh. Um, so I actually yeah. grew up with history. And then when it came time for me to go to college, uh, it's kind of a long story, but I had I was looking for um, private schools, and um, yeah. I ended up in St. Augustine, which is the oldest city in America. So I went mm-hmm. to St. Augustine, and I was very much expecting it to look like Germany, and yeah. I was very surprised when it was not like that. But I do still <laughs> absolutely love the history here, and it is a very, yeah. very beautiful place, so I have no regrets ending up here. Yeah, no, I mean, I I love Star Trek to to the Americans, and as I said to Ian, like I'd go back to America in a heartbeat. But then I'm a softie. I'm I grew up in Shetland with Viking culture and Scottish history and fishing and the all of the world of the fishing industry. And we had Americans who were in our our uh, RAF base because we're the oh, very Cold War. Cool. Yeah, we actually had the cold radar system. Um. And the radar system was monitored because they were listening through the North Sea for mm-hmm. the Russians. And basically Britain and America took turns with the radar station. And then they closed the base. And when they closed the base, there was like a mass exodus of people off the islands. And I kind of stuck out because I was like this American loving, <laughs> pickup truck loving, shotgun toting, cowboy boot wearing horse riding nut i kind of stuck out like <laughs> you know they're all like yeah scotland the brave and i'm like where's my shotgun and my pickup truck i'm <laughs> off like totally just did not fit in the status quo Aww. um so yeah i i always said i got born on the wrong side of the atlantic even my my husband's like you know jokes and teases me and says yeah you're a closeted american <laughs> You know, I went to, to L.A. It was so funny. He's Glaswegian, so he's got, like, a really thick, strong Scottish accent. Mm-hmm. And I can turn mine off. Uh-huh. So, I, yeah, and I, I did. I went into L.A. and I 
turned it off and I started speaking and I had a very Cali accent and <laughs> the Cali was coming through because unfortunately my friends from the American base were from California. Oh, okay. Being the fact it was like mostly a Navy base and then, you know, we had some RAF stuff going on. Yeah. And it was so funny because everyone thought I was actually from, from California. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and Ian was like some foreigner they couldn't understand. And the amount of times they would just sort of stop looking at him and look over at me and go, what did he say? <laughs> so he had to translate. <laughs> so I had to be like a, a walking, talking translator. And I'm like, yeah, this doesn't, you know, bring me flashbacks of when I was 12, having to translate for the kids on the playground. <laughs> Cause I could always do both. I, I was lucky. I, I could go between the American kids and the, the Shetland kids without any hassle at all. And yeah. Yeah. But a lot of my classmates didn't actually realize there was American kids in our school. So oh, interesting. Yeah. They kept that kind of quiet, like, you know, American families that were on the Island, they didn't stay on the base. They actually mm -hmm. stayed in the community. Um, and they integrated so well because Shetland at that time was a very open place, a very kind of welcoming place. It's not as welcoming now. And they were able to just kind of get wrapped into it and they loved it to the point where actually Shetlanders couldn't tell who was Shetland and who was American. And that's interesting. And, it, and everyone really loved it, except my dad, because he kind of got fudged over by an American fuel company and never oh. forgave them. But, yeah. it's you know, I was like, Dad, you sell fuel, so... You know, what can you, what can, what can you honestly say about that? And he was like, yeah, good point. So yeah, I, I, I love it. And uh, if I could go back to the States, I definitely would. I, I want to visit your state, by the way. It's on my hit list. Thank you. I love Florida. Florida is really beautiful. And I'm like um, about two hours away from Orlando. So we have Disney passes and we get universal passes and go to SeaWorld all the time. And we live like 15, 20 minutes away from the beach and we never go. <laughs> so we always meet yeah. to, and it's just always you to pack up so much stuff. And then you have all the sand yep. everywhere. And it's, it's always so much more of an exciting idea than the application. Well, I, I like the fact that when we actually, we were thinking about moving to Florida at one point and we were looking and all your houses had these amazing like fenced in back gardens or pool areas and all these sort of like screened areas and I said to Ian I'm like wow like <sighs> that's a lot of like investment they've put into their back because you come here to Scotland and half of us only have a, like a grassy back lawn that right. we always forget about <laughs> you know like we're yeah gonna, shoot we need to go cut the grass because the grass is like waist tight <laughs> you know that kind of awful way but then I was like wow these houses in Florida are amazing and that's what I said to Ian I said Florida is probably safer to live in than California to be honest with you <laughs> um yeah. mostly because I look at the natural disasters and think mm, lots yeah. of wildfires in California mm, well, not so much California in is really really expensive um yeah I guess Florida is starting to get pretty expensive fortunately we bought our house a while ago but well, we actually don't have the screened and stuff on the back, but we do have, well, we yeah. do have a nice patio and it has, we have retractable screens, which are nice because oh, cool. um, we have yeah. a really beautiful like um, pond in the back um, yeah. and we get the most gorgeous sunsets there. And we have um, a huge like three pocket, like sliding glass door. And then we have another sliding yeah. glass door. So we have these beautiful sunsets so we can roll up the, we can roll up the um, screen and watch that. And we actually have, because we're in Florida, 
a couple of alligators that hang out back there. And oh, we, that's cool. we just call them all Oscar. But um, every now and then they get really big and then the gator catchers have to come out. And literally the back of their shirt says gator catcher. And they <laughs> a big stick, like a big kind of like um, like yoke stick. And they go out and they catch the alligators. So, because they get. Funny you said that. Do you know an idea popped in my head? Huh. You should do a, a romance series of alligator catchers. Oh with my like God. <laughs> foreigners that come to Cal- you know, come to Florida to settle and then they fall in love with these alligator catchers. That'd be awesome. I'd read <laughs> that. would be an interesting one for sure. <laughs> well, you, you've got the research in your back garden. So, this is true. <laughs> Although you I don't have to go to catch any gators. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were fascinated. We 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 came across swamp people, which was like the alligator industry aside you, and we just thought it was the most fascinating thing in the world. Like, yeah, particularly there's a woman alligator catcher, and she just she blew my mind. She's going out in this boat on her own, like oh wow, no one else with her, and she's yeah. catching these things on her own. And I'm thinking, either she's got like nerves of steel. Oh yeah, oh, no. she got a death wish. In fact, I've told the kids like, don't do stupid stuff. Don't poke it with sticks. Don't like approach it. Don't try to feed it like chicken or anything like that. And like, if you see the alligator, just stay in the house. Like, leave Oscar alone. So, yeah. <laughs> see, see, it's so funny because here in Scotland, right? The kids would go cook it a meal, fire it out the back door, close the door, lock the door, and then just sit there and watch it. <sighs> you know, like that because kids here are so curious. Yeah. Like, Common sense in Scotland has been going down for a while. Like I've, I've seen some pretty um, crazy stuff at the school that's made me think. Wait, did you not think about that before oh, you no. did it? You know, like you kind of think to yourself. Even I've got some self-preservation. When I was a kid, I wouldn't have done that. You know, oh. <laughs> I had one that tried to run along and. Uh, a fence right this tiny ass fence it's like thinner than like a walking wire and he made it all like three feet then he managed to face plant into it bounce off of it and land on the floor and i'm like what possessed you to dry that and he went it looked fun so in florida we would say well bless their heart Yep, that, that's exactly what I said, actually. You took the words right. No, I, I honestly did. I said, ah, oh, bless your heart, son. And then in, my, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I wouldn't like to be your mom. <laughs> she must spend a lot of time at A&E. Yes, probably. Yeah, fortunately, yeah. I have two daughters. My daughters are pretty chill, so we don't have situations like that. They see the alligators, and they'll take pictures from their phones with their phones from a distance. And that's about as close to Oscar as they feel comfortable getting. And I am totally okay with that. <laughs> we, Yeah, because we've had some really bizarre stories over here. We had a tourist killed by a stag. Oh, that is bizarre. And we've had a tourist killed by a highland cow. And I thought, these highland cows are so freaking placid. How can you get horned by a yeah. highland cow? Like, turned out they were trying to take a selfie with this cow that wanted just to eat its grass and be left alone you know and they were pulling it up constantly oh my god trying to get this like selfie with it and well of course the cow got piddled off as it did and uh, it went to sort of knock them away with its head and unfortunately skewered the person yikes and it took them a while to catch the uh the cow that was running around with the person dangling off its horn 
Oh, gross. <laughs> yeah, it was more the fact he was stuck there. If he'd yeah. fallen off, it would have they'd have been able to save him. But it was the fact that he uh, he was stuck on. Um, but yeah, like none of us could figure out why on earth they would constantly yeah. harass these animals. And the stag one was the same. The guy just kept getting too close, and yeah. uh, you know the stag was like, "Hey, buddy, this is my territory," and just rammed him, and that was the end of him. So yeah. Yeah, that's why I always say if you you know, to anyone that I have that's friends that are tourists that come over, I'm like, Yeah, just don't annoy the locals or the animals and you'll be fine. Well, hopefully that should be most tourism most tourists thinking that uh line of thinking anyways. <laughs> I mean I like would, I, I know not so. everybody is that way, but I know whenever I do travel I always try very hard to be respectful and and not I, I'm the same, yeah. In order to get them to do a selfie with me. <laughs> I know I just stay like like we went to the zoo um in LA and I stayed far away that I could take yeah. pictures but I'm not a selfie kind of person anyway so like hubby would take the pictures you know yeah I think the only thing we did try and do a selfie with the statue at Warner Brothers of like the characters outside so it's yeah. like, like Donald Duck and somebody else Mickey Mouse or no that's Disney uh yeah it was a duck and something yeah, and, you know, we were standing there and, you know, there was no one around to ask for a selfie. So we ended up just taking one shot with him and then one shot with me. Um, but yeah, everywhere we went, Ian was fan favorite because he has very comical T-shirts. That's not always suitable for younger audiences. <laughs> um, in fact, our tour guide at Warner Brothers, he actually turned to Ian. He said, I can't look at you, dude. He said, I am cracking up here <laughs> in the middle of this tour. He says, and not only that, your your wife knows more about the TV series I'm supposed to be talking about than I do. And then at which point he handed the tour over to me and said, right, you know Girlmore Girls better than I do here. What's this house? What scenes were famous in it? And <laughs> off you go. And I was like, wait, how am I doing your job? That's funny. <laughs> so, that's, that's the sort of stuff that happened to us. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So when you're when you go to a bookshop or you're sort of scrolling online, where do you go first? Um. Well, um, as far as bookshops go, we have um, my husband and I. Whenever we do a date night um, at the at like an area near us, they have a really big Barnes and Noble, so we usually go there. And we'll usually, I always, of course, you walk in and you get to see all the new releases and everything. And then I usually fiction is usually my favorite, so I usually go to the fiction section. And, yeah. uh, and we usually do stop and get a coffee cause that just makes books all the more fun. And then I as, say that. Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then as far as, um, online, I mean, I generally go for, um, historical fiction is usually one of my go-to genres. I really love thrillers as well. So funny you say that. Cause uh, I'm going to bring up one of the, uh, one of the most famous historical authors that people are actually forgetting about now because she's been away or she's been passed on now for quite some time. And her name was Catherine Cookson. And she was a dame uh, by the Queen in England. And she actually wrote books about what she experienced as a a servant in a big house. And she was dyslexic. So she wrote in the way that she spoke. And she wrote really incredible groundbreaking books for her time. And it's classed as historical fiction because she goes back to times when maids were the main job 
for people. Oh, that's really interesting. And, you know, she's written so many and she covers mental health and she covers um, male violence and it's topics that we wouldn't necessarily think of mm-hmm. in this day and age um, as something that you would write about in the 90s. You know, you're talking about sort of 91 to 96. She's really popular. And she actually made her fame in India. Oh. She was incredibly popular in India and she was incredibly popular in Britain. And she had a small stint in the US where she actually did quite well. But people actually forget about her now. And I always I always say when, when I get a romance author on or a historical author on, always sort of check into her because you might actually discover the little tricks that she used to put into her work. Mm-hmm. that have almost been forgotten. Right. Um, like how to do a book in the way that you would talk, but at the same time actually really hit home on the characters and really hone in. And she did a lot of like short stories and stuff too, which was yeah. incredible. Um, one of her stories was called Hamilton, and it was actually about a horse. Oh. This girl, to escape her miserable life actually imagined this horse that would stand up for her and it follows this journey of this this girl who doesn't think she's beautiful at all because she's told her entire life she's a not and it's an incredible series to actually read and see how she totally overcomes it and you can almost like feel Catherine's own mental health journey that she was going on at the time that she wrote it right coming out of those pages because Catherine wanted nothing more than a husband, a family, and a home. And she got a husband, she got a home, but she could never have kids. And oh, it was sad. it was that that sort of was like the final nail that broke her. And writing became her children. Um, and yeah, so I always recommend her because she's very unheard of. And sometimes it's nice to actually discover a different writer from, yeah, from that genre. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I she got me into uh, writing, so you know I was a bit sad when I found out about her. She she'd already passed on, but um, yeah. she was she's incredible. The only problem is if you buy one of her books, you'll find yourself buying the whole lot. <laughs> Happens. I a learned lot. that the hard <laughs> way. Um, but I would I would actually recommend starting off with the Tilly Trotter trilogy. Mm-hmm. That's like a really good one to go for, and. There's one, I think it's called Born Hill, which is, uh, it's really one about class and how sometimes you can overcome class by just hard work. Mm-hmm. That even if you fall from an upper class, you can, some, you know, you'll get surprised by the working class and you might end up back there. Yeah. So like, it, you know, it's it's very, very good that she touches on lots of subjects that that I think is as historical because I've done historical myself. I think as historical writers, we kind of need to touch base with again and just remind people that these are still issues that we have now. Right. That hasn't been resolved and they still are an issue. And, you know, she wrote an, an amazing book that, that was shocking at her time. She did colorblind. Oh, interesting. So it's about an African American man who falls in love sorry, an African man that falls in love with this British rose. But she's totally blind to his colour. And all she sees is this amazing man and it causes 
an absolute riot in her street. You know, but it was like, here's this book coming out in the 90s where, you know, race is kicking off and becoming an issue. Mm -hmm. And particularly in the, you know, in the UK, we, we, we did areas where the race was very high tension and we had areas where race didn't, didn't matter at all. Like Glasgow, it didn't matter at all. Um, and that kind of comes through in her work really. Cause she was, she was living in the North of England at the time. And she's very good at sort of distinguishing lower England from upper England. Mm-hmm. So North and South. Um, yeah. So well, that's wonderful. At least she really was like already talking about race and, you know, the importance yeah. of quality and everything. I mean, she was very much really about quality. I mean, you know, it's, it's sad to even say that that was early on because really that should have mm-hmm. been, <laughs> that first of all, should never be an issue, yeah. but certainly yeah. progressed significantly many, many decades before. Yeah. And I mean, like the, the parts of history that's usually forgotten is that the UK was the leader for ending slavery and it actually started in glasgow Mm -hmm. was the the place that that movement started and it's because glasgow was a port and it was a hub and there was so many people that came through that hub that the community was always mixing together it was like a big melting pot and there was no such thing as division and stuff and it was a bunch of Glasgow men that turned around one day and said, hey, this isn't right. And they began that movement. Let's end this. Yeah. And she was really able to project that out right. in such a way that I it really moved a lot of the needle pointers in, in England, particularly at that time. And I think that's why she was made a dame by the Queen, because she was able to take these really explosive issues. Right but actually put them in a story that normal everyday people could connect to. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, I was, I was sort of, I was a nineties baby. And when I started reading her, I was about eight or nine, which I really wasn't old enough to be reading her. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was able to sort of connect in with these stories and understand. And I stayed in an Island with no crime and, everybody looked the same and we all went to the same schools and we all grew up in the same areas and you know it was a very very sheltered life but I could even connect into that stories and sort of pick up the lessons and morals that she was trying to teach in that and you know so I always take a minute and just try and kind of remind people about her or introduce people that have never met her to to try her so Mm -hmm. thank you so has there ever been a book that you've picked up and you've just been like, why did I start reading this? I think we've all had one. At some we've point. all had one, but I will respectfully decline to say which one that was. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've asked a bunch of authors and some of them will go, I can't remember the title, but the, you know, it drove me to the point I threw it across the room. Yeah. I had one that said she threw it in the bin. <laughs> It was that bad. It was going in the bin. There was no saving it. For me, I don't, I've always tried to read books, but science fiction in space is the one area that I cannot wrap my mind around. Yeah. Um, I had to do it for my course this year and I lit, I've never done not able to finish in my life. Never, ever have I gotten into that situation. 
And this is the first book I've ever had that. Oh, wow. No, honestly, if so, I can't get into a book, I just stop reading it. I mean, um, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I have same way. Two, two very like kids who need a lot of attention. And um, I am, I get very little sleep because I'm constantly working and I constantly have a thousand things going on. If I ever have the beautiful opportunity to sit down and read a book for even a moment, if it's something that I'm not enjoying, then I'm not going to continue to subject myself to that. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, it's just <laughs> mad people like me that say, oh, it'll get better in the next chapter. And then I get to the end and I think, mm, it really didn't. What did I, yeah. why did I sit here for weeks and read it? it like, like 30% of the book. And if it still is not engaging, then, um, but, and I have to say like, if people are like, Oh, it's a a book, you really have to, it takes a while to get into it. But then once you're there, you know, those are usually books that I may not always start because I don't like having to, I don't, I'm not into them. Yeah. I don't like having to try to wait to get to the point where it gets better. Like it should (laughs) have just get better. (laughs) Finally, you mentioned before we started recording that you were into um, a psychological thriller. Have you ever tried uh, Fiona Cummings? Um, I would have to see the book covers, honestly. So Um, yeah, you'll have to look into her. Mm -hmm. She does an incredible thriller and she'll be blushing on the other side (laughs) of England at the moment. But I got given a book for her. It was an arc a couple of years back when I was doing book reviews and it was called The Rattle, right? Mm -hmm. So it was like this weird title book had come in with a kind of bizarre cover on it. And I thought, okay, what have I gotten here? And of course I started reading it and it was about this serial killer who collected bones of misshaped people yeah, and misshaped kids. And it just made the hair from the top of my head to the soles of my feet stand up. Oh, that does sound really good. And I was lying in disturbing. (laughs) Oh no, this was beyond disturbing. I, I was like, I want to meet this woman. Like, she kind of got me going. I couldn't figure out who the killer was. And usually if I read a book and I talk about like the first 10 pages with my hubby, he'll be like, oh, the killer is so-and-so. And even he couldn't tell us who the who the murderer was. So she kept me going. But she's actually just started a spinoff series. As I said, she was on two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that one, you'll fly through it. It is so quick. The pace is like so snappy. Like, yeah. That's it's, good it's really I'll good. Check that one out. Thank you. Well, you're definitely going away with a shopping list. Your husband will be uh, cursing me under his breath, going, <laughs> "Who's this person she's been talking to? <laughs> Spending my money? Oh no, <laughs> that's how mine is. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like it when I come home with more books. Yeah, my husband's pretty much used to it. We get books constantly. <laughs> <laughs> So when you started writing your, I call it deeper or darker characters, but most people um, refer to them as villains or protagonists or people that challenge the the, the characters of the leading roles. Um, so where, how do you get into that mindset of writing those characters and getting into the storylines of these characters that will essentially derail your, your heroine and your love story? 
Um, well, usually I do character charts for all of my main characters. That includes not only the protagonist, but also the antagonist as well. Yep. And, um, and so, you know, it really comes down to just getting to know that character, not just, um, you know, as far as like what it is that they want and everything, but also what sort of psychological things that they've had to deal with in their past, what has made yep. them be the person that they are to ultimately justify what their actions are going to end up being and, you know, why they react the way that they do. Um, so I'm, I'm incredibly like type A. I always joke that I'm so type A, I'm 12 point times new Roman font. And so I, I, <laughs> I know that feeling <laughs> beforehand. And that really does include the character chart, including for, um, for my, my villains or, you know, the, those characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, see somebody that finally understands the you know the the process I I have and I will show you this but they can't see is I have this little green book Mm -hmm. and when this is for um test zone which is my dystopian but this is to give you an example I I actually write it down in a (laughs) notebook so I don't forget hair color or eye color or the name of the dog because yeah. I will get so fixated that I will forget the, the details that actually really, really matter. Like, I'll be sitting there and I'll look over at Ian and I'll say, what did I call that dog again? Or what did I call that best friend that just sort of floats in and out? And he'll be like, why are you asking me? Because <laughs> you're supposed to be listening. That's <laughs> a good way to do it, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so that that's uh, my secret. That's how I do it. <laughs> Um, what inspired you to sort of enter into historical romance with your own writing voice? Um, well, it definitely would be Diana Gabaldon when I was reading um, Outlander. Yeah. And that's kind of what started really putting it in my head. So, yeah. She's getting all the credit here. She is. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I have to say I've always really been I, – well, I've always been a huge reader – Um, but the other part of it is that I've always had stories in my head. I think a lot of it is from just growing up in Europe and and having so much of that history. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my parents really embraced living in Europe. So we went all the time. We traveled all over Europe. And when you have these tour guides who are just really, really, um, excited to share with you these stories, they tell these vivid, wonderful stories. And it's like, they just lodge themselves inside of your brain, like little seeds and grow into beautiful things. And so I've always sort of had stories in my head. And um, my mom gave me a box of all my childhood stuff um, ages ago. And and a bunch and inside, there was a whole bunch of books that I had started. They were either like cool. chapter one, and I'd written a couple of chapters of a book, or there was one that I even made a hardcover for. I illustrated it myself, not to brag, just kidding. It was horrible. Pictures were terrible. <laughs> the story wasn't super great either. But, um, but you know, I had hey, like, that that's impressive skills. So, yes. uh, so yeah, so I think I've always I've always had stories in my head that I've just wanted to tell. So, <laughs> you see, it's it's so crazy you say that because some authors like, do you get the experience of when you close your eyes or you you go into your writing zone that you almost see like an entire world opens up in front of you, and Absolutely. if you go down a, a path. You go down that path till that story's finished, um, and then well, you forget yeah. it, or does it like stay rooted in your head, and you can always go back down that path for for a little? I can seat? always go back down that path, but that's also being a mom because there is no such <laughs> thing as uninterrupted work. My work, in fact, yeah. my work is so interrupted that um, you know, especially when I'm writing romance, you know, um, the Princess Bride. 
Have you mm-hmm. seen that movie? So, you know, yeah. the Princess Bride, when the grandfather is reading to the sick boy and, yeah. um, and then like the boy would ask a question and all of a sudden the story would stop and you'd be back in reality and the boy would be asking yep. the grandpa a question and he starts reading again and it falls right back into the story again. That is my life as an author. (laughs) (laughs) I have the story. You're not selling me on this, you know, writing with kids part at all. Like I'm starting this year. So like. It definitely takes a lot of, um, it's a lot of broken concentration for sure. So. um, (laughs) Yeah. Cause I was like, I was like, yeah, I'll be a stay at home mom, raise the kids, write the books. And, and then I'm like, the more authors I talk to, I'm like, oh. Yeah, I don't know that that's actually possible. I mean, you know, mine are older now. Um, I really started writing, yeah. like really fully started writing um, when my when my youngest was born. She is almost 13. And that's when I really started like um, going to writing um, group meetings and things like that. I'd already written a couple of books and I was kind of trying to figure out how to get published and, and make myself a strong yeah. author at that point. And I mean, so I've always been writing with the kids and I mean, you would think that they would need less the older that they get, but the problem is they stay up later. And so, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I will say my best times to write are usually um, in the mornings on the weekends because they'll sleep in until like noon and I get to just write that whole time. But you know, during the week, yeah, my youngest goes. That's to- actually what a lot of the the advice for me has been is get up early, yeah, right before they get up and just write like crazy because you know you're not going to get a second chance, <laughs> right? And then when the when they go to sleep at night, sit up and do your edits. Yeah, they like, can stay up later than sleep? me though. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, I was one of those kids that couldn't sleep at night. Like, I was supposed to be in bed by eight. But I don't think I ever fell asleep before like 10 or 11. No. So like my mom would go mad. But then see when I found her Mills and Boone books, I actually fell asleep a lot quicker. Oh, that's good. Because I would like, I would pretend to be asleep and right. I would read to like, I couldn't read anymore. And then I would have to hide the book somewhere so she couldn't find it. <sighs> and then I would like pull it back out the next night. And of course, you're not really supposed to be doing that when you're eight or nine years right. old. But <laughs> Especially when it was the modern line of Mills and Boone, which mm-hmm. is like, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> My mom should have hidden those better, but she didn't. <laughs> when you're putting your books together, is it like a jigsaw puzzle or is it a bit more like a movie? Um, I mean, it's. I guess it it's a jigsaw puzzle because... You know, I have to do um, all of my research first. And then after my research, that's when I do my character development. And then after my character development, that's when I do my plot. And I generally plot it about chapter by chapter. So I I know how many chapters I'm going to have. Um, And then, and, you know, I've written, now I've written about 38 books, I think at this point. So I have the process certainly down. So I know how many, how many um, words on average my book is ultimately going to end up being how long I want the book to be. So generally if I'm shooting for a certain, because I've done, I've done novellas and I've done full length novels as well, obviously. So um, I start out, you know, knowing how long my book is going to be. So I'll know just in the plotting phase, I I usually end up hitting that number within about a thousand words. So, um, and then once I have all that together, that's when I start writing. So when I start writing, I'm fully immersive. I've gotten the research. I know all the characters. I know exactly what's going to happen then and also on the very last page so yeah yeah I mean I I do that too like but I'm I'm terrible like I get I write and write and write and write to that last chapter 
And then the procrastination kicks in because I'm one of these ones that doesn't like to say goodbye. Yeah. You know, when you close it out. And honestly, if I didn't have people that nudged me every so often, I don't think I'd ever shut a book. I don't think I'd ever close it down because I just, it's almost like you're, you're, you're kind of saying goodbye to people that you're never really going to see again. I know you'll Unless see you continue when you do your edits and then when you do your copy yeah. edits and then when you do your galleys. <laughs> yeah. But then it's almost like though you're not writing any more of that. So right. like you're not keeping them moving forward. And, and that to me is like, it's almost like they die in a way to me. Yeah. And I, I get so caught up on, oh, I gotta write the end. And Ian will be like, go write the end. Cause he'll get like so fed up of me, like procrastinating at the other end of the room. And I'm a gamer, so I can, I game with my husband. That's what yeah. we do together to chill out. And he'll be like, would you stop asking me to play games and just go finish your book? Cause that's what you're doing. You're just harassing me because you want to, you, you can't finish your own book. And I'm like, no, okay, fine. <laughs> You know, it's like yeah. that kind of way, but it's, it, I think it's because I, I have such a, like a universe in my head that I don't like letting anybody go. I like them to live up there. And I do, I, once my story is written, I delete it. Um, almost like it kind of that whole part of my universe will disappear, but it's always replaced by something else, like a new story that comes forward. Mm-hmm. But it, it's that kind of sadness that once that final words written, that that universe evaporates for me which is great when it comes to editing because I'm almost editing like I edit and then it's like being that reader for the first time again when you pick it up and you're reading it for the first time like I'm almost the first reader that gets to see it and if I don't love it the editor has a nightmare with me because she'll be like Crystal stop changing everything (laughs) because you know you've done this already <laughs> but like I'm a perfectionist I want to be able to hand it to a Romans reader and know that they'll fall in love with it um and your stuff flows so well oh thank you like I've gotten to read samples of your stuff and it has such a an easy gentle flow to it thank you I, I, I really like that and that's really hard to do and particularly in historical romance so I take my hat off to you <laughs> thank you because I can only do it in sports romance, uh, which is probably why I've only ever had sports romance published. <laughs> but um, it is it is a process of, you know, when you can fine tune it and you can get so deep into the characters that you make the, the everyone forget about their everyday lives. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a that's a really gift. And I think you definitely have. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. What techniques have you? Uh, you come across that you thought was helpful and ones that you wish that you were like, why did I try that? Um, well, do you mean like, like sort of writing tricks that help out going yeah. forward? Or like techniques or right. So lots um, of views or something that's been super helpful for me is um, basically like whenever I'm writing and I'm at the end of where I'm like, you know, I have to stop because I have to pick somebody up from something or <laughs> drop somebody yep. off for something or make dinner or whatever the case may be. Rather than just stopping where I am, I'll usually write a sentence or two to sort of um, let myself 
remind myself where my brain was going so that when I sit down to write again, I have that little tip where I'm like, oh yeah, you know, and it doesn't have to be anything really detailed. It can be like, you know, she's mad at him, he's mad at her, and then they kiss, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember where that's going. And so I can pick right up where I left off. Um, So that's one that's been super helpful for me. And another one is, you know, when I'm working on my, either my plotting or even I do this with my character development as well, where you get to something and you're like, I want something here, but I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you just, if you go to pen and paper and you set a timer for like 10 minutes and you just write down everything that comes to mind. And usually within that 10 minutes, like you don't let your pen stop at all. You just keep going and you just keep making all kinds of ideas. And then at the end of that 10 minutes, usually if you haven't found the solution for what it is that you're looking for, for that character or that plot point or what comes next or whatever, um, you usually will at least have an idea of like sort of a jumping off point to give you, okay, this would be a great place to let's, let's see what happens from here. And that's been very helpful. It's kind of like forcing your brain to unclog, if you will. (laughs) Like being a plumber a bit. Right, exactly. That's your Drano. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah are- I'm glad you said that because I was like, I'll set it up. I wonder if she'll take it. Yep, I took it. I'm <laughs> <with> it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could have gone a totally different way there. So oh, yeah. I, took a, I took a leap there. So um, what's been the most, like, unhelpful technique that you've tried? Um. Well, um, to – I don't – let me think. I guess probably just just plotting or just writing without plotting. But that's also a personal uh, preference. Pantsing, so yeah. I pantsing. have tried pantsing. Pantsing is not for me. I am, again, way too type A control freak. For so me. am I. Yep. Yep. You know, it sounded like it was going to be such a wonderful thing, but everybody has what works best for them. And and pantsing does not work at all well for me. <laughs> but I have, I have many you- friends who they works wonderfully well for. So I'm certainly not saying anything against pantsing. <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, I, I'm right there with you. If I don't break down my books, I haven't a clue what I'm, I'm <laughs> doing. It's just, you know, it's just what happens. Which character stayed with you the most or the longest? Um, You know, I probably would have to say um, one of my, so this is from one of my historical fictions, but Grace Bennett from The Last Bookshop in London And I think it's because it was actually not my first, it was my first um, historical fiction so that it wasn't romance. And I think because the entire book was specifically about just that one protagonist is that I felt Mm -hmm. like I had to know her so much more thoroughly because it was, it it was her character only through the duration of the entire novel. So there was no back and forth. There was no breakup. There was no, there was nothing going on. Um, But then also from her perspective, exploring those deep connections with all of the other characters in the book. And so, um, you know, really, I feel like um, I knew her so incredibly well, Um, not even, you know, just throughout the whole entire story. Yeah, no, I get that. Uh, Yeah, I've done that kind of with some, well, with Marie, I had to do that because she doesn't technically love like a normal person. So it was a much more difficult writing experience going into her yeah um so yeah i i get where you're going with that mm-hmm. is there a character that you wish you could write more about um i mean i've pretty much written all the characters i mean well just the new characters that are in my head <laughs> um, you know virtually that that doesn't count this is yeah. like tying back to a book that you've maybe finished um, and you thought yeah like a side character or something yeah probably going back to the last bookshop in london again um grace had a best friend named viv 
And um, Viv ended up being one of, she um, ended up being, she was with the ATS, the auxiliary. Oh gosh, now I can't remember what the name of the abbreviation is for it. Um, but she was an ACAC girl, which basically was an yeah. aircraft um, girl who would help to shoot the German bombers out of the sky. Um, yeah. and she was really just a very lively and fun character. And I've actually had several readers who have reached out asking if I would write Viv's story. So, um, so who knows? Maybe so that- I guess I'm, I'm going to put you on record now and say, what would be your answer to that question? Well, I have to say maybe because we have to see. Um, I also have so many other ideas for World War II novels that I also really want to write. So um, I like to, to always have one question that kind of catches people because it gives like the readers that thrill of, <gasps> is there going to be another one? And it, it gets everyone excited. So I, I do apologize because I, I, you know, I do... I do have to do that for just the readers. Oh, no, you're fine. Now we're, we're getting into the juicier part of the, the podcast where we're actually going to talk about our everyday lives. So you've heard a little bit about our everyday lives, but you're going to experience it a bit more because guess what, guys? We're not trolls that sit in the house all day writing. We don't live in big mansions writing. And, you know, we're not all anti-socialists. So we're going to learn a little bit more about what life's like uh, for this particular wonderful author uh, in this portion of the uh, interview. So what's the first thing that you do when you need to de-stress, stop editing and writing and just find your, your happy, quiet space? You know I have kids, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope you're not going to turn around and say, I go spend time with the kids because like that, that's not de-stressing. That's adding stress. I don't really know that that place exists. (laughs) Um, You know, sometimes at night um, I will go to bed a little earlier and I will um, take a hot bath before bed. And um, my husband got me a massage chair um, for Mother's Day last year. And I will say that has been very, very nice. So if nothing else, I know that I can always get like a nice 15 minutes to myself with a book in my hands, having a little massage right before bed. So um, that sounds wonderful. That's going to be my little, my little pocket of heaven. (laughs) We all need it. We all need it. And I think, I think COVID's taught us that is we need those pockets of just absolutely uh, my time. Yeah. So what hobbies do you enjoy if you have any? And what ones wish, do you wish you could explore if you had the time? Well, um, I'd say probably one of my hobbies is, is working out. I try to make sure that I work out every day. I actually have like a whole weight set next to my desk where I have weights that go from um, three pounds all the way up to 30 pounds. And um, wow. I make sure I do like my workouts every day. Um, and as far as what hobbies do I wish that I could explore – Um, I wish I did have more time to do like little crafts and everything. I used to do them with the girls when they were little, but as they're getting older, they don't love the crafts as much anymore. And so, um, but you know, every now and then I'll, I'll kind of dip my toe into it. Like during the pandemic, I was one of those people that made like hundreds and hundreds of masks and donated them to like the neighborhood and the hospitals and the vet and, you know, everything. So, um, so I do enjoy crafts. I just, unfortunately don't always have the time to be able to do it. So I probably... And there isn't any one particular craft. Um, I just, I love all of it. I love making wreaths or when the girls were little, we would do fairy houses for the garden. Um, I mean, everything. So I just enjoy crafts. It's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. You just actually hit on our next question, which is um, 
do you like crafts? Yes, or, I do. <laughs> and, and you know, is there, like, do you use crafts to clear your mind? Like, what's your other way of just sort of clearing your mind so you get a good sleep at the end of the day? Um, I mean, I don't really have a chance to do crafts as often as I would <laughs> like to be able to clear my mind. Yeah. Um, really, the biggest way that I clear my mind is kind of doing the massage chair at night for like the 15 minutes and just kind of getting a chance to read. Um, but I yeah. also really do enjoy, when I tell you that I enjoy research, I really, really enjoy it. And so believe yeah. it or not, a lot of times that's almost what I do to relax sometimes is I'll read like a, a nonfiction book and just kind of lose myself in my research. It's, you know, it's, I will say research is super important and it's, for me, it's the same. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of chills me out. If yeah. I'm like stuck in hospital, there's nothing that I like better than to be reading and studying like what I need to put into position for my next book, which all the doctors think I'm crazy because <laughs> they come in and I'm like covered in wires and tubes and stuff. And I'm like writing away like a demon possessed and they're looking at me like, you should be out cold. No, you gave me painkillers. I'm not going to sleep for the next 36 hours. You know, like yeah. that was my experience in the last year. So okay. <laughs> I can, yeah, I spent three weeks awake in hospital. I didn't sleep Aww. an hour for three weeks. I got, I got my book finished. Well, that's good. I was the only person that they've ever met who was writing a novel in ICU. Oh, no. Well, but I got it done. Feeling better. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my editor is going through it right now, and she was like, huh, hmm, we're going to have to go over this bit and this bit, and I'm like, oh, no, oh, shucks, what <laughs> what did I write in that induced 36-hour period when I didn't sleep? Because I literally, literally, they sold me, I looked like a demon possessed. So. Oh, my goodness. Um <laughs> So I myself have a long-term illness, which uh, the, the readers are now kind of more aware of. I have idiopathic rheumatoid arthritis. I know idiopathic. It sounds like idiot. I know, and I'm sorry, listeners, but that's what they call it. Um, and it makes me slow down and appreciate the day and smell the roses. In fact, it's it's really made me and Ian kind of do the adulting thing where mm-hmm. we're progressing with our lives we got married um after being together for 13 years congratulations can't believe we're we've been together for 13 years <laughs> 14 it is 14 now but it was 13 when we got married yeah um it got re because of covid it got rescheduled eight times so like my family was totally confused as to when we were getting married. can't blame them though because eight times is a lot um so what do you do to kind of like slow down and appreciate the day and um I mean probably like well with my my family um I mean like with my kids they are in a bunch of different extracurricular activities we have um you know volleyball horseback riding dance and then even just you know drives to and from school to pick them up from like anime club and things like that and um anime club was that anime club it's it's clubs where the kids all sit around and they talk about their favorite animes and everything so the girls ah, love it, yeah. I'm showing my age and my Scottishness there where I'm like, okay, that's a new one on me. Horseback riding, volleyball, that that I understood. Even okay. the dancing I understood. <laughs> Just when you got to anime, I was like, Yeah, that's like they have the school, they have like the, the clubs at school and so they go there and they're ah, everybody has okay. like their same yeah, like mine like mines and everything. 
And I, I thought you meant they were sitting actually making animes, and I was like, whoa, oh, that, that's no. an intense club. <laughs> no, they talk about it. Um, but, you know, the greatest thing with the kids is when you get them in the car with them, and um, I tell them that they're not allowed to be on their phones while we're in the car because I like them to talk to me. And so yeah. I told them when they get older and they can pay for an Uber driver, then they can sit there on the phone the whole time. But in the meantime, if I'm taking the time to pick them up, they can take the time to talk to me. And as soon as you get the phone out of the equation, they talk the entire time and they'll tell yeah. me how their day was. They'll tell me how all, all, I know all their friends' names, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, people who they, they like and things like that. And and it really yeah. is such a great, wonderful bonding time to get to spend with the kids. So it's, you've actually you've hidden on the biggest piece of advice that I was a youth club leader. So I ran youth clubs, which was after school evening times when the kids would get together. And I had so many parents that would say to me, what's the best advice that you can give me to get my child to talk to me? And I said, do they own a mobile phone? And they would go, yeah. <sighs> Kidnap it. Make it vanish. Meal times, car times, they're not allowed on it. Tell them they have to switch it off at a certain time of night. Because, like, social media is so intrusive into teenage lives. And it's so poisonous. It totally... I mean, I've had girls that's having anxiety at age 11. Because they're sitting on social media and they're expecting to look like Kim Kardashian, for goodness sake. Like, you know, I was almost... I spent more time at youth club teaching them to be happy within themselves. And spending time with their parents and... And even the ones that didn't have the best parents, like saying, hey, okay, your parents might suck from your perspective, but maybe if you get to know them a little bit more, you might discover you have common ground and that might make things better. And I had so many kids that came back to me like two weeks later and said, holy crap, your advice worked. (laughs) Or parents that came back and were like, you're a genius. And I went, no, I've just been around kids my entire life. Because <laughs> I have. I, I was part of the Disability Writing Association. So, like, you know, this is disabled children. So you're talking about children with even more roadblocks in the way of communication and and socialization. And, and our my job was to get them to connect with the horse and the horse to connect with them. But, yeah, like, I, I, I was lucky from, like, age 16 every year I sort of learned how to like help people reconnect. Well, that's wonderful. But at the same time, I am, I am like this such a nervous nanny around my nieces and nephews. Like I'm, I'm one of these nervous aunties that like is scared to say the wrong thing, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sitting on my hands going, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Don't want to give you the wrong thing. Go <laughs> ask your mom. Cause I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I'm terrible like that. But I understand because it's like, mom, dad, no best. Mm-hmm. Aunties should not be getting in the way of that. So that's where my oh, kind of gotcha. whole step back thing. And and I, I really encourage that relationship too. Yeah. Whereas, and then you get Uncle Ian that comes in and he's like, climbing tree, bouncy castle, <laughs> outdoor experience. And he just sort of gets... You know, he throws them up in the air and I have to cover my eyes and be like, <laughs> you know, and they climb up over him and he's six foot two. So oh, he's yeah. like a huge giant to mm-hmm. these kids. And it's just like, yeah, That's yeah, I, I'm bombed out. As soon as he comes in, it's like, auntie who? <laughs> I only get cuddles or, or, or that when, when they want to have a nap time and they're not supposed to. Yeah, but those cuddles or, are really sweet. 
Yeah, or or when I need the bathroom. It's like they know. <laughs> okay, ants is, you know, the ant is waiting to go to the bathroom, but there's a queue. I'm going to go lie on her. <laughs> no! <laughs> and it's the only time I get in attention is when I'm in my head, I'm going, no! <laughs> so, yeah. No. So that that's funny that you said that, because that's, that's the advice. I mean, I'm not a parent, so, you know, I'm... People, I always say to people, I could be 100% wrong. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people that find that, that reducing phone time has actually helped right. the family closer together. I think you've answered this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Where's your favorite place to curl up during the day? Do you like the garden? Have you got a favorite cafe or reader's nook? Um, I probably just the couch for reading. Um, and then, yep. you know, for work, I like being at my desk. So. And I have a cat. Um, her name is Ink. She's a calico and she has a big black splotch over her face. And it looks like a big ink spot. So her name is Ink. And she'll sit in my lap and curl up. Um, and if I'm wearing a cardigan and it's cold in the morning, I can actually yep. bundle her in the cardigan. And she just like... And they're like a little hot warble. in there with me. It's really cute. She's a sweet girl. She's sweet, but she is spoiled and sometimes a little bit of a brat. <laughs> oh, I've got two. So I, I understand that more than you. I've got one. My, mine are both male cats, right? Mm-hmm. Why I thought getting two was a good idea, I don't know. But I had one, and he he was quite demanding, but he was an anxious, anxious cat. And they told me if he's like, you know, if he if he's anxious and he's showing signs of not being cuff calming and settling down, get a, get a second cat. So I got him a kitten. Because they say I always get a younger cat to an mm-hmm. older cat. And he has never forgiven me. Aww. Since that morning, I op- like the first night they spent together, I opened the bedroom door. And here's the, the little kitten Stefano hanging off the end of big brother Bob's tail. <sighs> and Bob's face as he's swinging his tail about, pissed off. <sighs> looking at me as if to say, what did you bring home? <laughs> oh, him suddenly getting ridden around the living room because Stefano's jumped on his back. And he, <laughs> he was literally like, he was about the size of a teacup Aww, when we got him. Cute. And uh, now he he's like a blinking tank when he hits you because he, <laughs> he literally does he takes me and my husband's legs out all the time um and he looks small but see if you actually see him stretched out he's actually a big cat and so mm-hmm. is bob we still got sold a sold total different story when we got them they told us they would be small cats and no, 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 they weren't. Bob was bigger than his mum when we got him. Oh and my he goodness. said to me he would be a small cat. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're on to the favorite part for the listeners. We're going into the word game now, which um, I promise you most of the authors freak out over. Um, but we're going to have some fun with this. And I have gotten a good theme for our uh writer today did you guess the theme when you read through the words um is it nature yeah because like i'd seen that you were kind of you had that bit about your history and stuff and i thought but she spends a lot of time outdoors so i'm gonna have to give her a nature and then i thought i only after i sent it did i think "Mm, maybe those words were a bit cruel (laughs) because they're harder words than anyone else has had (laughs) everyone's had like a theme 
that I've given them. Like it always ties into, you know, something in their background or it's tied into their books or something along those lines. So, yeah. So we're going to start off with the first word, parks. So I'm going to go with Central Park by Giuliani Musso, which is a... Oh, that's a new one for me. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, it's on my TBR. It looks really good. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so I'm not the only one. Okay, good. <laughs> Beaches. Bookshop by the Sea by Denise Hunter. Ooh, I'm a sucker that for one's shop good. books. There's a, there's a series by Sarah Morgan. She's an incredible writer that's... Um, they're really uplifting, lighthearted mm-hmm. rom-coms. Um, and she has a she has one set by the Cornish Sea in England. You might I'll actually really like that. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fish. Um, so that one I can't help it. All I can think is one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish <laughs> by <laughs> whatever the one is by um Oh, what's his name? Dr. Seuss. I always think of like, whenever I think about fish, I always think about his, that little book. <laughs> do, you, do you know actually what I, I thought of when I actually thought of that one? Um, the sea through the one, the sea through back, mm-hmm. but I can't remember the author. No, shoot. That's not going to come back to me. I no. <laughs> I have those moments. I'll remember a title, but I will be Screwed if I can remember the author that wrote it. Okay, Woods. Woods, um, I have um, a, a Warrior's Reckoning by Brenna Ash, which um, it hasn't come out yet, but I had a, I did read that one. It was really good. Was that an arc? It's, uh, that a, is a, it was an arc, and it is a um, historical medieval romance. Ooh. Mm-hmm. See, I thought of Thorns and Roses, the Court of oh, Thorns yeah. and Roses for that one, because like there's so many wood scenes she has right. in that series. It's it's super easy to get lost. Like you can almost imagine it. And I live surrounded by trees. Oh. I, I went from being in a place where there was zero trees. I grew up in a place that had no trees at all. Mm-hmm. So when I came down and I started living with my husband, it freaked me out. Like it, walking through the trees at night was super scary for me. Oh, yeah, I thought I was such a moose. such a moose. Hey. Um, As in you'd feed horses. um, I have uh, Highland Temptation by Laurie Ann Bailey. And that one is another historical romance. See, I had um, Taming a Scot by Laurie Foster. Mm -hmm. It's like a time travel series, which again, made me think of you. (laughs) Scottish time travel series where this, um, this Scottish girl gets sent back well this girl gets sent back to the scotland time and she ends up involved uh with highlanders and stuff it, yeah it was cool it's like the immortal highlander series yeah that's what it was i called. love highlanders so <laughs> yeah tulips angels of the resistance and this one is an arc that i'm reading right now um by noel oh. salazar and it's a world war ii historical fiction set in the netherlands so mm-hmm, it's very I thought of um Forever by Oh shoot. I forgot the author again. No. <laughs> this happens periodically. My listeners are very well. I get the title and then it's just like the last bit just so know. vanishes <laughs> on me. Um but yeah, she's an amazing author. Um and she lives in California and she set an entire romance series around Juleps. 
Oh, interesting. So yeah, if I ever remember who it is, I will send you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, finally, but never last, is Sunshine. Sunshine. Um, I actually have Verity by Colleen Hoover because there's this one particular scene where there's a woman out in the sunshine and it's super, super Ooh. creepy. So that was why I thought of that one. <laughs> Do you remember the the ebooks? Like she did a series of little ebooks a while back, Colleen Hoover. Yeah. Um, was it boyfriend or something mm. like that? I'm not it was sure, like to be a- honest with you, Verity is actually the first uh, Colleen Hoover book that I'm that I've read. Um, ironically, yeah. I'm also listening to um, It Ends With Us because I'm part of a local book club here, and that's our pick uh, for uh, – it's, that's actually our pick for this month, um, have my book club on Thursday. But it's just funny <laughs> that I haven't read any of Colleen Hoover's books, and this month I happen to actually be reading two of them. <laughs> that's not – she's an incredible author. Like, I have – I put um, I put a request out, fingers crossed, that she joins the book podcast yeah um because i think it would be a lot of fun she has a darker sense of humor which is quite similar to mine Mm -hmm. so um yeah i think there'd be a lot of probably some dark twisted jokes going on (laughs) in that podcast but it'd be well worth it so before we go is there any other books that you'd like to tell us about any ones that's maybe upcoming in the next year that you want to tell us about or Uh, anything you're excited about my well, my next um, historical World War II fiction is actually called *The Keeper of Hidden Books*, and um, it actually is set in Warsaw. And so, um, mm-hmm. I have gone—I've had a chance to go to Warsaw and do research and everything for that, which is cool. Getting to see all of that stuff um, after yeah. after having read so much about it, getting to see it in person is pretty incredible. So, yeah, it is. Um- I must admit those those trips must be incredible. Yeah. I, I get to, to go over Scotland a lot and travel with my partner. Sometimes we just decide, okay, we're going away for the day and just go somewhere. Um and yeah, I mean it's it's hugely important to do research like that for you. Oh absolutely, so. yeah. Actually with the librarian uh, spy, I was able to go to Lyon, France and Lisbon, Portugal. And I also got to go to wow. the Library of Congress um to do research. Oh, those are so cool. Yeah. So I've, I've been yeah. very fortunate to do a lot of um, in-person research for a lot of the books that I've written. It's been pretty incredible. We'll have to like give you lots of inspiration so you can do like in-person Scotland and then me and Ian will take you to the places that are not on the guide. Oh, that's for some extra inspiration. Because <laughs> um, I'm actually doing that. I've got the owner of a publisher that's coming over in June and uh, I'm taking her into Sterling to actually see the William Wallace Monument. Oh, how wonderful. I've actually been to the William Wallace Monument. I've been to Scotland a couple yeah. of times and uh, for research for my historical romances. And it's really just such a beautiful, beautiful country. It really is. And I, the great thing about it is we also are taking her into the Sterling Castle, oh, which has wow. not been opened in so long. And it's, it's reopened. Um, and one of my favorite places to go is the uhart castle oh yeah um, which has such a tragic story to it yes um and i think it just it i felt like so inspired it was so weird like i'm walking around the museum and it's just like hitting me like a series of light bulbs and i was just like ian i gotta go right (laughs) that's the best (laughs) so like (laughs) in the car home i'm like notebook furiously going with pen and paper and <laughs> and he's just like yeah but no there's some there's some amazing places the circle of stones in orkney 
yeah. be one that I would show you and take you up to Shetland and show you an actual living and breathing Viking settlement that still exists. Oh, very that has cool. That has just been, um, it's only in the last sort of 20 years it was uncovered and and the, they actually are trying to figure out why an entire village completely and utterly vanished. Oh, wow. That's Yeah, one night all their stuff is still there, their swords, their animals, their, you know, everything they would need to travel with is still there. And all they could find was one body that had been buried. Oh, wow. And they have no explanation for where the whole of the village has vanished to. Yeah. So it's kind of creepy, but at the same time, it's like, ooh, I want to (laughs) know. Like, was there the plague or something? But then if you think plague, there would actually be bodies, but, you know. Right. um, It doesn't make any sense. So I quite quite like, you know, I like sharing the Viking history with people and taking them to Shetland and showing them. And you can actually see the old RAF base that uh, was used for the Cold War. That's awesome, yeah. It still exists. They sometimes open the gates for us. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. Very cool. So, yeah. But it's been uh, great having you all on the Book and Life podcast. We will be back next week with another sensational guest. And I promise you some even more fun.